Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. Did you know that up to 3 million youth run away every year? This is according to the National Runaway Switchboard. Or that one in seven children between the ages of 10 and 18 run away from home. And that's according to the statistics from the U.S. Department of Justice. Or that 300,000 are drawn into the underground world of commercial sex by human traffickers. These youngsters often fall prey to slave traders and drug dealers. They're frequently disconnected and have no resources. So today we're joined by Alan Cardoza, who spent most of his career dealing with this disturbing underground world. Alan Cardoza is a licensed private investigator for 30 years, is president of West Shield Adolescent Services and West Shield Investigations, and between his two companies, he successfully located or returned or transported thousands of runaway or at-risk youth back to their homes or hospitals or schools. He's traveled the world returning abducted children to their custodial parents or guardians and, and actually broken up human trafficking rings. Alan's the past president, or a past president, I should say, of World Association of Detectives. He's held several positions with the California Association of Licensed Investigators and actually received its Investigator of the Year Award. And through his international radio program, Answers for the Family, his speeches, his articles, and his new ebook, Running Away in America, Alan offers solutions for parents and teens and, and sheds light on this connection between runaways and human trafficking. Good morning, Alan. Thanks for being on the show. Good morning, Francie. It is great to be here. And by the way, I love the intro music you have. That's great. I think it puts everybody in the mood for it. Yeah, thanks to uh, Mickey Splain's My Camera. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's great. So I always like to find out, Alan, and I, you and I have known each other for more years than I want to talk about, but uh, <laughs> I always like to find out how my guests got started in the field of private investigation. Well, Francie, I got started um, over 30 years ago, and I started with uh, Walt Swanitzer. Mm. And when I went to Walt, um, well, let me back up a little bit. I was injured on the job. I was working for the family business, working as a roofer. I fell off a roof, and I was injured. And I thought, okay, what am I going to do? I'm now being told that I'm not going to be able to do this type of labor. I always wanted as a kid to be a private eye, so I started going through the white pages and going through and checking for investigators. Well, hmm. the first person to give me an interview was Walt Zwanitzer. Notice it starts with a Z. Right. So I to a whole lot of people before they would actually let me come to their <laughs> office and meet with them. <laughs> and, and I know Walt Zwanitzer, too. Yes. <laughs> That's great. <sighs> and so did he hire you on the spot? Well, no. In fact, he didn't hire me on the spot. In fact, the first thing he said was, I need a 19-year-old kid like I need another hole in my head. <laughs> uh, and, and I really had to show persistence. But what I did was I listened to what he was saying. When he was speaking to me, he kept saying, this is what it takes to do this job. Mm. And what I kept hearing throughout that was persistence. You needed to have persistence. So when he didn't hire me, I went back and sat in his office for about 10 days. And I would just be there before he got there. And I would be talking to the secretary. And he would walk in and he would look at her and he would look at me and look back at her and shake his head like, what is he doing here? Mm -hmm. 
And eventually, he got a call on a case, and he needed something done right away. And as he called his other agents, they weren't available. And he walked out, and he looked at me, kind of shaking his head, and said, all right, kid, I'm going to give you a shot. And sure enough, that's how I got my first case. Great story. What a great story. And then how long did you work for Walt? Um, For about, well, maybe four years, four, four and a half years. And it was a great internship because I learned, I learned so much from him, uh, everything from how to deal with, with clients to how to work specific types, types of cases. And in fact, uh, one of the stories about how to work with clients was the fact that I, I looked so young and he started giving me cases, working, locating runaways and things like that. He said, well, I'm going to send you on this because you look like these kids, so I'm going to mm-hmm. send you out to look for them. But when it came to meeting with clients, he said, you don't look old enough to meet with clients. He took me to the Ben Nye Company in Hollywood, and he bought liquid gray. And then, <laughs> and, and then he took me to a, a, a store like J.C. Penney's, and he bought me a suit. And he said, you're going to have to wear a suit, and you need to put some of this liquid gray in on the sides so that you look a little bit older. How funny. Well, as, as it turns out, the gray, because you know what I look like, the gray took over. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> And you wear it well. Thank you. <laughs> That's funny. So then you started your own agency? Yes. Um, I think at about age 21, yeah, I ended up forming my own company and sort of specialized in the, the locating of runaways and working with teens. It seemed to be where I was drawn. I mean, that was the area that that I really felt that there was a calling for me. I mean, Walt had had me do all kinds of cases, and I had followed, you know, cheating spouses and, and people involved in cheating on a workers' comp claim. But the whole thing about helping these teenagers and getting them off the streets, that was the part that resonated with me, and that became, I mean, the thing that I really, I, I wanted to get up every morning and go help somebody. Uh, so that, I mean, that was it. And it actually, it evolved quite a bit from a particular case uh, that I that I worked while I was still with Walt. And, what happened with that case? Well, and, and on that one, it was it was started out as a runaway girl. It seemed to be just a typical okay. You've got to go find her. Uh, met with the parents, or I met with the mom, and and the mom uh, was divorced, and she said that the father was on board. Uh, so you know, I got as much information from her, and she had a couple of leads of where she might be. And I went out and I found a house and there was a party going on. It looked like a bunch of girls going in and out. And I thought, okay, I just have to stake this out with my binoculars and I'm going to find her. Mm-hmm. And as I watched, <laughs> I saw more and more kids going in and out, more and more uh, mostly girls. And then uh, later on, I saw that the dad started coming to pick them up. So I thought, okay, the party's breaking up. This is great. I'm probably going to see her now. And I saw a girl come out. I thought, okay, I think that's her. And she got in the car with with you know, with her dad, and started driving. And I thought, you know, this is probably one of those divorce situations where, you know, the dad says he's on board, but he's really kind of trying to be the girl's best friend, and, and he's, he's mm-hmm. keeping her safe, but he's not telling mom because it's one of those ugly divorces. And, and I followed them, and they went to a trailer park, and it just it didn't seem right. And so I, I got out, and I snuck up, and I looked in one of the windows, and this guy who was probably, you know, late 40s, early 50s, was having sex with this girl that was about 15. Hmm. And and it hit hmm. me that I hadn't been watching a party, 
these hadn't been dads picking up these girls. These were men going in and buying these girls for sex. And did you, did you, was that your epiphany moment? Did you realize it right at that point or did you process it a while and go, oh my gosh, this is what's happening? Well, I, I realized something was hugely wrong, but yes, that, that was my first epiphany. But the next part was then going back to Walt and saying, you know, I just followed this girl. It wasn't the girl, it wasn't the girl we were looking for. Mm, but, mm-hmm. but I said, you know, Walt, here's what I found and stuff. And he, and he was very calm. And he said, that's called human trafficking. I didn't even know what the term was at that time. Hmm. And he said, these people prey on young runaways. They set them up in, in homes and they put the word out that uh, these predators can come pay to have sex with them, and they pay a lot of money for it. And what year was that, Alan? <laughs> about, about. about. About 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, because that's amazing, because that really hasn't come to the forefront until the past few years. Absolutely. And, and, and that was one of the things, too, because at that time, I went out to law enforcement, and I was telling them, I'm going... Wow, this is this is really going on. And most people that I talked to said, "Yeah, that goes on in other countries. That's in third world countries. That doesn't really happen here." Hmm. And and I knew that it did, but I I couldn't really get enough people interested, you know, to really to 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 make the kind of difference that they're doing now. Interesting, very interesting. So then, where did you take it from there? Well, I mean, if, if, if we jump forward to the part about then opening up my own business, um, you know, opened up my own business and I specialized in this area, I started working for um, programs and doctors that were specializing in trying to help these young people. So some of them that had been involved in this were now being hospitalized and going through therapy. And if they would run away from that, that program, mm-hmm. they would call me and say, okay, look, we just got this one. They took off in the middle of the night. And then I would go out and I'd find them, I would bring them back, and I would talk to them, you know, and I would, you know, really get into their head in regards to what's going on. And the doctors liked this because they felt it was more than just a, quote, bounty hunter type of person that was going to get them, but mm-hmm. this was somebody that truly cared about them and that was close enough to their age that they felt comfortable talking to me about it. And, and I just learned these incredibly horrific things that were happening to them. Hmm. Wow. And and then was there anything other than working for these various entities? Was there anything you could do personally about this? Could you get involved some other way? Well, I mean, I uh, one of the things I was doing. I mean, I was I started just transporting directly. Uh, some of these these young people would be found. They in some cases they would be put in juvenile hall when they were actually victims. Uh, so I was able to to deal with a lot of the judges. I became uh, a member of a, a, uh, a national judges association so I could talk to them and say, you know, many of these young people are victims. They don't belong here. And the judges agreed. And so I became the transport person who then would take them to a specialized program where they could get therapy, they could get educated, and they were not in a juvenile, uh, a juvenile detention situation where they felt they were being punished for really having just become victims. So what would happen is they would act out in some way, like teenagers do, right. and get picked up and taken into juvenile hall when they were really acting out because they were being either molested at home or something was going on. 
Exactly. Yeah, that, that, that there was you know so many other things going on in their life, and like you said, in some cases, you know they, you know they were being molested at home, or in other cases, it was something out on the streets. You know, they would run away. In you know, in some, it might be a a fifteen year old girl that becomes infatuated with a twenty five year old guy, and they run away. They think they're in love, and the guy spends time with them for a while, but then eventually they realize he's not really in love with them. He's just now putting them in a situation to now start utilizing them um, for for sex as he now starts to sell them to other people. Mm, okay. Wow. So where did you take it from there? Well, um, again, I just really started you know, specializing in it and, and working with it and talking with them and trying to get them the help that they need by working with the therapists, working with the programs. Uh, some programs are set up... Uh, they're out of state, so we may pick them up, talk with them, uh, and get them to feel comfortable with the fact that where they're going is somewhere where they're not going to be preyed upon. They're going to be in a setting to where everybody there is really focused on wanting to help them, you know, and be it, be it the fact that they've, they've now been, um, you know, tied into the drug world. You know, in some instances, you know, they're, they're taken, they're used for sex, but they're also given drugs as a reason to... Uh, to keep better control of them, mm-hmm. you know. And, and as well, we, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, and and the other thing that we learned is is that um, many of them are being brought in from other countries, and and that became the the situation to where now we're dealing with not just teenage runaways, but we're dealing with young people who were having trouble surviving in the country they were in. They have this belief that they're going to go to this land where there's plenty of jobs and there's plenty of work and, and you're going to be able to be independent. But the people that they deal with that bring them over here set them up and say, okay, well, you owe X amount of money for us paying your expenses to get you here, so we're going to take your passport and we're going to put you to work. Well, originally they're told that it might be in the hospitality industry uh, or food service, something like that, and then they go, well, those jobs aren't available, and before they know it, they're now in the sex trade. Okay, let's let's take a quick break, Alan. Don't go away. Private investigator Alan Cardoza and I'll be right back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll free right now at one eight six six four seven two five seven eight seven. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. Cali's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact Cali at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. 
NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. My guest today, private investigator Alan Cardoza, is talking about uh, right now talking about human trafficking and runaway children, runaway kids. And But you were just saying, Alan, about how they were um, people were being lured in from other countries, women, girls, boys were being lured in from other countries with the promise of a new and better life and then finding out that's not what it was all about. Well, and, and, and yes, that's, that's one of the big problems is, is that America is still looked at as the land of opportunity. And, and if we think right now as a country that we're in a recession, people should travel around and see what's going on in other countries because in many countries it's, it's considerably worse. So the belief is we're still the land of opportunity. There are predators in their own countries that tell them, we can get you there. We can set it up in such a way that we'll get you to America. And then once you get there, you can pay us back for all the expenses that we're going to have for getting you there, mm-hmm. which might be... It, it's usually it could be around twenty thousand mm. dollars. So now once they get there and they go, well, you know what? That job isn't here anymore. That job isn't here. The only way you're going to be able to work this off is to do this, and they take their passport. Well, one of the things that that we've run into is people that say, well, you know what? I've seen some of those women, and you know they're you know they're prostituting themselves. Well, why don't they just take off? Why don't they just run? I've I've seen them out on the streets. Why don't they run? And what mm-hmm. they don't understand is, is that in the country that they came from, the people that, that brought them here may have had a relationship with law enforcement. And so their concept of going to law enforcement isn't the same as ours. They may set, sure. up, yeah, they may set up a situation to where they will talk to law enforcement in front of them and just have a great conversation. They might be asking the cops directions. But the person doesn't know that. They're just far enough out of the picture to where all they know is this person has a relationship with the police. Mm-hmm. And then they'll, they'll tell them, look, the cops work for me too, so if you go to them, I'm going to know about it. 
So, and besides that, where are they going to go? Because they've already taken their passports. Exactly. You know, so, you know, it, it, it really is something to where, you know, it, it, it is a form of control. It is a form of kidnapping. Uh, you know, it's, and, and people don't necessarily realize that. And um, one of the cases that, that also drives this point home that I worked on that was in another country, and that was one to where when we located her, she was working in a house of prostitution, and we, we paid what's called a bar fine to take her out. Now, what's that? What is that? A bar fine. In other words, if, if you go into a house of prostitution, you can pay an amount of money to have sex with them, and you go back to a room within that building. Okay. Okay. Now, if you pay a bar fine, which means you're going to pay extra to take her back to your own place. So the extra uh-huh. money also goes to them sending uh, what they call a stringer. They send somebody that covertly follows you to make sure that you're not stealing her because this is still their property in their mind. Okay. Okay. So we got back to a hotel. Uh, we got to the hotel room, and once we got there, we had a female agent there. We had a video of her family, and we showed her the video and said, look, you're free. Everything is great. Here's your family. But the family... It was very heartfelt. You know, they were crying. They said, you know, we love you. We don't care what's happened. You know, just, you know, please know that, that, you know, we want you to come home with this person. The girl brought out a picture herself of one of her sisters in crosshairs. Oh. And you, I know you know what crosshairs, but if any of the listeners don't, yeah. that's, that's that picture you see when somebody looks at you through a rifle scope and said... I can't go with you because they've told me that if I take off, they will kill one of my sisters and they will kidnap my other sister to replace me. Now, Alan, was this an American girl that was in another country? Yes. Okay. So they had abducted her from the United States. Right. And was, was she actually abducted or did she go with them? Well, no, she, she started out as a runaway. In other words, she okay. had taken off. She had a boyfriend, and, and she thought this was going to be what her life was going to be about. And, and it was a big adventure until she got into this other country with this guy and realized that all he was doing was romancing her just long enough to get her mm. out of her environment and get her to where they can use her for prostitution. And how old was she? She was 15 years old. Amazing. And so... So she had this crosshairs picture on a cell phone or something? No, just, I mean, just pulled a picture. Just a picture. Yeah, just pulled it out of her oh. wallet and just had a, you know, like a Polaroid. But it wasn't a Polaroid, but I mean, I'm saying just a still picture. It's so funny. Now, in today, we have everything electronically. We don't even remember. There's actually paper pictures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay. Very true. So um, then what happened? What happened well, after that? I mean, she she started crying. We had to take her back. She refused to go with us. Uh, so we told her, you know, that you know we won't say anything. You know, we gave her the money that we were supposed to give, and took her back. And we got what's called a T visa, which is a special for for tra- for um, human trafficking. And we got a T visa not only for her, which we'd already gotten, but we got one for her entire family, and we moved them. And by moving them, we got them to a completely different location and, um, and then had them, you know, shoot another video, but this time showing what the date was, you know, on the video, mm-hmm. them saying, we're in a completely different location, you don't have to worry, the people cannot find us to, to harm us, 
the government has moved us. And so from that point, when we then met with her again, now she, she cried again, but this time it was tears of joy. She ended up leaving with us. We contacted law enforcement who picked up the stringer as well and then eventually utilized the information we had to go in and to break up that particular uh, location. That must feel really good to be able to, to accomplish that. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So um, there's been a lot of press actually in the past maybe I'm thinking 10 years about the example you gave of, of uh, girls being brought over here to the United States right. and put in what we call white slavery for lack of a better word. Um, I know they're in the area that I'm in, Oakland, California, there, there has been a lot of prosecutions in those areas. Uh, some of them have held up and some of them haven't because there's a lot, there's a lot of, uh, loopholes yep. regarding how these things are handled. Well, yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. And it isn't just the fact that they're bringing them in and putting them in, in sex trafficking. In some cases, it's just a forced labor situation. So, you know, they might be in a, um, you know, in the garment industry or some other mm-hmm. industry in which they, again, their passport's been taken away. They know they have to work X amount of hours, uh, you know, to work off the monies that are owed to them, uh, you know, th- that the traffickers tell them that are owed to them, because in reality it isn't. But, you know, you can't, uh, at that point, they're too scared to try to fight it. So what ki- is there a profile of a person that does this kind of thing, or is it... Is it all across the board? Well, it, it, it really does come from all walks of life. I mean, if there is one, if there's one area that makes it now a major part of their criminal empire, it is drug trafficking. Uh, and in fact, uh, one of my partners who, who got a chilling quote from a drug dealer while he was undercover, in fact, this is someone who you also know, which is Logan Clark. Mm-hmm. And while he was undercover, um, one of the drug traffickers said to him when he was commenting about, you know, something, they were talking about the difference between selling drugs and selling these women and stuff, and the dealer got very steely-eyed and looked at him and said, I can sell a gram of cocaine once. I can sell a woman over and over and over again. That's why they've shifted their business now to doing this. And and would you say that, there's a big mob influence in this? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's, that's the whole problem is, is that, I mean, organized crime figured out that you can make more profit doing this. They also, they also realized that we, especially America, we spend billions of dollars, and we have for many years now, on, on the war against drugs. Mm-hmm. Okay, we've, we've been doing this since the Nixon administration. We formed the war against drugs, and that became a big focus, and we spend billions of dollars every year. And while we were spending all of that money, the, the, um, uh, the, the different organized crime groups felt the pressure. And the more they felt the pressure, the more they felt we need to go off into different directions uh, where there wasn't as much attention. So this is one of the areas they went into. Now, fortunately, our government now has seen that, and we've really been doing a good job in regards to, to putting in new laws that have teeth and training task forces all over the country to be able to recognize this and deal with it 
in such a way that these people that are being exploited are now being treated as victims and not treated as um, you know as criminals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and they and you also said in some literature you sent me that uh, if our country um, and the country that they've been taken to is a part of the Hague Convention, that there's something that can be done that way. Well, yes, and then now when we're talking about the um, the parentally abducted children, and and the Hague Convention is set up in such a way that it just means that that country will honor our laws. You know, if if someone was taken from this country, and again we primarily use that for parental abduction. I believe it also in these other situations as well. But for parental abduction, um, you know, if if you have a situation to where a parent takes the child. Uh, they decide they're not going to honor um, U.S. law or Western law, and they they go to a country that doesn't honor it. It's very very difficult to get them out, and and our government will not get involved uh, because it's not part of the international law. That is where mm-hmm. you need to hire investigators like us that will go in and that have the connections and the abilities to uh, to get your children out and get them back to to the custodial parent. All right, this is a really good time for another break. More about runaway kids and human trafficking in a moment. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. IRB Search is simply the best online data provider for locating people, businesses, and assets. IRB Search gives you strength in numbers. With one click, you can access billions of records. Even with partial information on your subject, IRB Search instantly returns current and past addresses, phone numbers, and more. Call IRB Search today at 1-800-447-2112 to sign up. Mention PIs Declassified and you'll receive a two-week trial of 100 free searches to get started. Call 1-800-447-2112 to find out why IRB Search is simply the best. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com.
You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Ellen Cardozzi is a licensed private investigator who specializes in recovering runaway and abducted children. And, you know, I was just thinking, Ellen, that, you know, I was a runaway teen. I ran away more times than I could count on one hand probably. Of course, my runaway experiences, you know, one time I went to my grandmother's with my comic books. I didn't count for a whole lot. But um, but I did some, you know, I stayed away um, a couple of times for several days where my parents didn't know where I was. And... But that time, it was so much different, so much different than it is now. The risks are so much greater now. Well, and, and you are absolutely right. And, and as much as your parents might have been you know, in, incredibly um, you know, concerned and, and probably very worried and everything else, like you said, that they really didn't think that you might have been absconded and taken and put into, you know, a house of prostitution. Like you said, you ended up going to grandma's house, or yeah. in most cases, you know, most of us, you know, went to, you know, we wanted to go, um, you know, to the fair that weekend, and the parents said no, so we ran off to go do that, but we still planned on being back Monday. You know, so you're right; it it, it was a lot different, and and I did the same thing, and and I ran away, and. You know, and, and in my situation at that time, you know, my dad said um, you know, I'd gotten in trouble in school, and you know, and said, um, "Well, you know, you better get home." And I've talked to your mother, and you know, you're going to be. She says you're going to be grounded for life. You know, I thought, <laughs> "Oh no!" <laughs> you know, you know, if you're in like ninth grade or something, it just, you know, it's, I can't be grounded for life. You know, right. so the reality of it was was that you know they were exaggerating and it wasn't going to happen. But I panicked and took off and uh, and and wasn't very creative because sure enough I went to the fair and and my uh, dad found me. Right, right, right. <laughs> and and brought me back and then we talked about it and and you know and everything was fine and and even at that point, you know I think we were so much more into being part of our community that even at the fair the reason that he knew I was there was probably because half the people he knew saw me there and called him. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, it it really has changed. Um, so what what suggestions in parents that are listening that may have a situation with a child that runs away or. Um, maybe even has a child that they don't know where they are right at this moment, what kind of advice would you give them? Well, I'll start with just the, the, if if they're at home, but their concern. And I think the first thing is is to communicate with them. They really need to communicate and communicate accurately. And it makes me think of a particular case that I had. uh, And I'm trying to think of the young boy's name, um, Paul. He was 14 years old, and he got in trouble at school, uh, I think, for marijuana. And so the parents, parents got really upset, and you know, and and really tried to explain to him why he shouldn't do this. He was suspended from school, and once he was allowed to go back to school, they said, "If this happens again, mm-hmm. we're going to send you off to one of these programs in Utah, uh, so that this will never happen again." Mm-hmm. Well, a couple weeks later, Paul got busted for cigarettes, and and so the the school suspended him for that day. Paul assumed that this meant that he was going to be sent off to a program, so he got home before his parents. He stole the family car 
and he took off. Well, he ended up being gone for five days. He ended up buying much harder drugs uh, from, mm. from people. He ended up wrecking the car and, uh, and breaking bones on his own body. All of these things because he was of the belief that he was going to be sent off to this program. Now, when I talked to the parents who hired me to find him, they said, well, no, it was just cigarettes. I mean, he would have been grounded, but we weren't going to send him off to a program because we were concerned that there was a drug issue, that he couldn't control the drug issue. That's why we thought he might have to go to a drug rehab program. Well, Mm -hmm. this total lack of communication between the parents and the child really caused Paul to think that he had no other alternative. So, again, communication is by far the most important thing. Communicate with your child. Know that they can, they can come home if they're already gone. Communicate that they know that they can come home and that you're going to listen to them. But, you know, a lot of parents think that communicating with their child is giving them the kind of an ultimatum that you just, you just described. Right, but... But it can't be in the form of, of an ultimatum. I mean, yeah. you know, for example, you know, if you're uh, and, and communicate from the standpoint of a positive. Okay, if if you want your child to get better grades, and you say to them, you know, if you, um, you know, you know, if you know, if you get any D's and F's, you're going to be grounded for the whole summer. Uh, you know, so you better not get any D's or F's. Okay, there's no real possibility for them to see this as as having input in it as opposed to approaching it and saying if you get d's and f's you're going to have to go to summer school and we're going to limit your ability to go out on the other hand if you get a's and b's last year your curfew was 11 this year we'll make it 12 Mm -hmm. so now there's there's a positive reason and then you get the child to agree to it and, right. and in some cases, we set up family contracts where it's all written down and we get everybody to sign it so that there's no misunderstanding afterwards going, well, I thought that meant this. Right, no. right. Because it's written right here and you signed it and you, and you had some input because there was a benefit that you were getting from it also. And, and you know, what I see anyway, because I, I know somebody that's dealing with a, a child that's involved in drugs, that's a teenager, um, the child is desperate, the parent is desperate, and they're just locking horns all the time. And so what you just described is, is perfect because what I see often is the parent is giving an ultimatum without that other side of, you know, if, if, but if you do the other side of it, if you do the right thing, then you'll be rewarded. Right. Or in some cases, they can ask the child, okay, what do you think what do you want? the other side of this? Yeah, and then let them choose it. I mean, and you may not be able to accept it. If you know, if they say, "Well, we want to be out for as long as I want and never come back until I want to," okay, that's not acceptable. But let them come up with something, and then you know, negotiate to a point that you can both agree to it. But it's still something that they've agreed to. Well, you know, I I, I hadn't thought about this for years, but you know what my parents did with me? I wanted to um, move away to another state <laughs> and do my own thing. I think I was 16. Um, and they they kept saying to me, well, why don't we just get in a month about it? And they kept putting it off. And finally, I got to my senior year and graduated. Oh. So we never got – I thought that – I hadn't thought about that, but that was – that was actually very effective. I see. They were smarter than you thought, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Well, now going back to the, the things that parents can do, I mean, if they've already taken off, um, in this day and age, everything has changed. In this day and age, because of technology, um, if they have a cell phone, uh, if the cell phone's in your name, you should be able to track it. Uh, if they have um, a Facebook account, if they have you know, any of those things, uh, any of the social network accounts and stuff, set it up in such a way with them that you know, when they're whatever, 14 or 15, and say, can I have a Facebook account? Sure, I just need you to friend me uh, mm-hmm. you know, so that you're on it. It gives you, an, it gives you an opportunity to be able to check. It doesn't mean you have to go and check everything, but it just means that they know that there's a chance you know, that you might be looking. So you know, it, it keeps them from doing some really crazy things. Now, that also is a tool that can be used by us as investigators to help find them because mm-hmm. many times they will, they will take off and stay in touch with their friends. That will become their, their lifeline either through their phone, through their Facebook account, through their computer, through their email. Something like that will be there that will help give us an idea as to who they're staying in touch with. That's really good. I wouldn't have thought of that. That's, uh, that's very good advice. Because as the, with the authority from the parent, then you as the private investigator that's been hired by the parent can be given access as well. Yes, absolutely. And, and the other thing is, is that you know, you know, if they have taken off, contact the police. Uh, if you're in a, a smaller, more rural area, uh, oftentimes the police will help. Um, if, if you're in a larger metropolitan area, they probably won't. They probably don't have the... Um, the resources, uh, especially with all the cutbacks, to be able to help, but mm-hmm. but there will at least be that uh, that case number, and the case number is something that we, as the private investigators, will go off of, uh, and and we work well with them. Times have changed. There was a time many years ago in which people would say, well, you know, the detectives and the you know the private detectives and the the police, you know, don't always see eye to eye. I think now, you know, many of us work with the police so we do see eye to eye and they like the fact that somebody else is is picking up those those areas that they don't have time to do now exactly i i totally agree with that and of course in your case you've established credibility and a good track record with uh the law law enforcement so that helps as well yep well do you ever hear from uh, the teens that you've actually gotten off the streets well, and, and yes, I have, and, and it, is, it is truly a blessing uh, when I do get to hear from them. Now, the first and foremost is, is that I don't contact them. In fact, if I'm walking through a restaurant and if I look and I see somebody that I know that I transported, I will walk right by them. I won't say hi. I won't do anything because it's up to them to make that contact because this might be a, a time in their life that they're not that proud of. You know, or mm-hmm. whoever it is that they're with, maybe they haven't shared with the current, you know, boyfriend or current girlfriend, or in this case, if they're now married with a child, maybe they never shared with them that part of their life. So I will move right by them. But in many cases, they will recognize me, and if they initiate the conversation, I'm always very thankful, and I and I'm and I'm really feel that it's a blessing when they can tell me just very positive things uh, about what's going on in their life. And usually they show gratitude either to me or to, or to their family or whoever it was that worked with them. Sometimes it's to their doctor. That's great. Must, must be very rewarding. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if, if we have time, 
<laughs> if we have time, I've got a bit of a story. Okay, well, let's uh, hold on it, Dan, and let's come take a quick break, and we'll come right back. Uh, stay tuned for more from Alan Cardoza in just a couple moments. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat show with Dr. Pat Basile, radio to thrive by. Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to PI's Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Taylor. Private investigator Alan Cardoza has been providing us today with a look at the epidemic of runaway and abducted children. Alan, you were just getting ready to, to tell a story about uh, a young man that you um, con- was contacted you later after yeah. you helped them. Yeah, this this one um, this one was especially touching because, and this happened a couple of years ago, and it was uh, over Thanksgiving, and. Uh, the call came while I was seated with my extended family, um, you know, having Thanksgiving dinner. And when it came, and I when I went to take it, I got that that initial look from the family, which is, here he goes again, <laughs> you know, he, you know. And, and and my family comes from a background of of the construction industry, but it's you do your work and you put it away, 
You right. you don't right. bring it to the Thanksgiving table. You don't bring it to these things. But in from from our standpoint, if that call comes through, that could mean an urgent situation that has to be dealt with. Somebody could be in crisis. So so I, I have to deal with it. So anyway, as I stepped out of the room to take the call, uh, it was a particular young man who I had uh, located and transported 13 years prior, mm. and. And actually, and he, he started the conversation with, you probably don't remember me, and then said his name. And I said, first of all, i got to tell you, I really do remember you because there's not many people that I had to locate three times. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> I had located him, brought him back to the program that he was at, and then he would run away again from the program. So after three times, he stuck in my memory. But the beautiful part of it was was that he was at his Thanksgiving table and they were going around the table and each person was saying what they were thankful for. And mm. he said he was thankful for me. And he said, wow. he said he looked at his parents and said, you know, you're my parents. You're kind of expected to, to stay with me and to, to be persistent and keep coming after me. But this guy just kept coming. and he, And each time he found me, he didn't just grabbed me and throw me in a car, but he talked to me, and he really tried to make a difference. And so he called, and, and it was such a beautiful thing. When, um, when I came back to the table, I had tears in my eye, so I then shared the story with my family, and at that point in time, I think they got a little bit they, more uh, they got it. tolerant, or you know, they, they got the fact of why I do what I do. And didn't, did, didn't he have uh, a child of his own by this point? Absolutely, yes. He, he, he called to say how successful he was, and he now, um, uh, he was married. I believe he either, he either had a child or his wife was pregnant with their first child. You know, they, they were really, um, uh, felt great about their life. And, and he said at that time, he said, had I not been that persistent, had his parents not continued to, to go after him and to try to rescue him, he wouldn't have all of this, and he would probably be dead or in jail somewhere. Mm. Well, that's a powerful story. And, and Alan, you've, you've gotten, I, after those 30 years of being involved in all this, you've gotten your hands in a lot of things. You've, you've written this e-book called Running Away in America. You have a, a book that just got released this year that you co-authored with uh, Les Brown, and the name of that is... Um, it's, it's, Follow your dreams. It's called. It's called fight for your dreams. Fight for your dreams. Yeah. And it's the power of never giving up. Uh, and and I, please, I could share with everybody uh, if you get the opportunity to get this book. And it's not just for my story. There are about thirty stories of people who have fought for their dreams or the dreams of someone else. People who started with situations far more difficult than most of us can even imagine and had turned it into a, a wonderful life. And it really shows how these people that never gave up, how they became successful. And I think if, if, if people get this book, you, you know, somebody out of those 30, people are going to be able to relate to and go, you know what, that's what I'm going through or that's, I can do that too. And, and that was the purpose of this book and I, I just really felt honored that uh, Les asked me to be a part of it. That's fabulous. And, of course, he's uh, quite a celebrated author, and uh, so that's quite an, quite an honor, quite a uh, compliment as well. Uh, and now you are starting uh, producing, producing, is that right, your own yes. TV? 
Yeah, I, well, I'm, I'm, I'm producing. Um, I've, I've been on TV before as what they term talent. I'm not trying to say that I'm talent, but that's what they refer to it as when you're the person that's on camera. And I've, been, I've done that in the past. And it seemed in each case that there were things that, that I disagreed with in the way in which they would present us or the way in which they would present the situation. Um, one show I was involved, which involved in with had to do with human trafficking. And it was important to me that we made sure that we followed these things to their conclusion, that we didn't just uh, exploit the people by, by rescuing them and then leaving them to their own you know, their own way of surviving now. Right. So I said, the only way that I'll stay involved in this is if we make sure that we help them afterwards and we connect them with certain, there's certain groups, there's the Dream Center, there's, um, there's Rafa House, there's BillionKids.org, all of these places that, that stay with them and help them and keep them from going back into that life. And I said, we have to set aside money to do that. And when it didn't happen, um, you know, I, I wasn't comfortable with it and, and, and got out. But what that led me to do, to do was say, I'm going to produce myself. And now, fortunately, um, I've got one show now that um, uh, the Discovery Channel just bought three episodes. Uh, so uh, we're, we're producing that one right now. And Does I've it got, have a name? Does um, it have a name? Well, it, it has working names, so I don't oh, know if I should okay. go with the name because it could change. But okay. um, uh, right tentatively, Midnight Run. <laughs> but, okay. But they could change. But so we have that show. I've got a couple other shows that are now in development, and and one of which has to do with the returning of parentally abducted children. And we have a uh, a production company that we're working with on that one. And the beauty of that is is that that allows us now to take on more cases, uh, and and the production company will assist with some of the finances for it. And so a lot of those cases out there, and anybody that's out there, if you have a case and you've said, you know, I'd love to get this case done, but I just don't have the budget uh, or the people don't have the money to meet the budget, um, get in touch with me. We might be able to help, um, you know, add some money to that budget as long as it can be used part of the show. We've got to close the show, Alan. I'd love to talk to you for longer. But uh, if you have questions for Alan... You can certainly send them to me at Francie at PISDeclassified.com, PISDeclassified, all one word. Uh, or you can go to Alan's website at www.transportingteens.com, transportingteens.com, and I'm sure that he'd be more than willing to talk to you about it or whatever your situation is. So um, my guests this upcoming next few weeks are Attorney James Burke, death row exoneree Jeremy Sheets, and private investigator Jennifer Magnahay. So, again, tune in next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators. It's P.I.'s Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening, and thank you, Alan, for being on the show. Well, thank you, Francie, for having me. All right. Take care. Bye now. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.